Welcome, True Believer readers, to Let's Read Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, a division of Let's Read Spider-Man, a proud member of the PacePot Patreon Podcast Network. The PacePot Patreon Podcast Network is home to many great podcasts. One that might interest you is a podcast about earning money by working weddings. Excellent, James B. Something uh, I, I think you know something about, too. Join sleazy tabloid photographer Jake Jones as he explains all the ways to blackmail a bride and groom on their wedding day. Some examples are taking scandalous photos, taking embarrassing photos, withholding important photos. For more, listen to Jake Jones' Wedding Photog, Thursdays at 8 a.m. on the PacePot Patreon Podcast Network. Sleazy wedding photos. I, we don't need the sleazy wedding photos rolling around, but I, I guess I'm glad we have a sponsor again today. Uh, James B., it's been a minute since we've seen Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider-Man. Can you remind us what's been going on? Sure. Spider-Man's happy to be rid of his black suit, but not so much his girlfriend, the Black Cat, who, if you recall, gained her powers via the Kingpin. Flash was trying out for football teams, and Spidey battled the spot, but I don't really think any of those stories are going to be too relevant as we move on to these books. That's true. And I guess when we say black suit, he's rid of the symbiote, but he still has an outfit the cat fashioned him at some point, right? Yes, I find it that unusual like that it. they really want to have him running around in the black suit still. Must but... be good advertising or something like that. Well, when he puts it on in all the books, they still don't recognize him. So <laughs> he's not advertising that good. <laughs> all right, well, let's see where he is. From April of 1985, Stan Lee presents Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man 101. Echo by Carrie Burkett, Juan Alcatera, and Jack Abel. James B. Carrie Burkett is back. I so enjoyed his Marvel team-ups that we read at the very end of Marvel team-ups. Let's hear what the story he wrote is. Spider-Man is having a rough day. He decides to catch a bluegrass concert, but too many couples remind him that he is alone and he is missing... Gwen Stacy. Over the next few pages, he thinks about her, remembers her birthday, and her smell. And he retcons her death, so she died exclusively from the goblin before she was webbed. Did you catch that, Eddie? You know, I did not see that. I went back and looked at it. It says, uh, the force of the goblin's blow, uh, hyphen, the shock from the fall, however it happened... I think they leave it a little vague, but good catch anyways, James B. All right, I got to jump in here, Eddie. Listen, she originally died. You can just Google this, everyone, right now. Go ahead and Google Gwen Stacy, broken neck, Spider-Man. Image. You can just get to the picture. If you look at the picture here, she's got uh, a swick when the web hits her boots, but right next to her face, it's a snap. It's her neck is snapping. Oh, poor Gwen. So... The whole point was we saw that we were all like, oh, Spider-Man broke her neck. And then they're like, well, maybe she died from the force of the goblin's blow or the shock of the fall. Okay. Maybe she was dead before then. Maybe. He's he's had a lot of trauma. He doesn't but, need to, he but doesn't they, need to remember this. Quite but they added, no, but I'm saying they added this. They didn't oh, need to I hit. See. He's sitting there talking to himself and he's like, hey, you know, I remember how she died. I think it was from the uh, goblin's blow. Of the show. That's not how she died before. Like they're, they're adding this as to let you know maybe he didn't kill her. But, all right. right. Oh, I see. Okay. okay. All right. All right. Anyway, Mark Scarlatti, who's unable to get a job in Cincinnati or Cleveland, returns to his backlash persona 
and takes a woman hostage in New York. Eddie, we saw him last in Marvel Team Up 145, a book that I enjoyed much more than you. It was one of my top five books. <laughs> yeah, I don't think his mom's very proud of him. If you remember, he ended that book with, Mama's going to be so proud of me. I'm also not proud of Burkett for deciding to include him in this story either. You know, Burkett wrote 144 and 146. This is 145. He didn't even write Backlash. He must have regretted missing out. So he's like, I'm going <laughs> to squeeze this guy in here. Uh, yeah. Let me, let me try to move on and wrap this guy up. Joe Robbie sends Peter out to the hostage scene to make some much-needed freelance money, and Spider-Man obviously gets involved. Spider-Man has more flashbacks of not being able to save Gwen. The husband of the hostage tries to save her, but Spider-Man stops him from getting hurt. Backlash has some new tricks. His whip is now nunchucks. He's got an exploding bomb. And Spider-Man takes a while to finally save the girl. The book ends with the hostage praising Spider-Man and then Peter's visiting Gwen's grave. Oh, I feel like we can officially say Spider-Man's true love is Gwen. She's always the first person to pop up whenever he's having any kind of relationship problems. She's drawn or mentioned at least 10 times in this book, too. Okay, in April of 1985, which is where I am right now, I will agree with you. But let's okay. see if that changes as we move on through the Spider-Man books. What's our next book, Eddie? From May of 1985, Stanley presents Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man 102, A Life for a Life, by Carrie Burkett, Larry Lieber, and Jim Mooney. You know, Larry Lieber is Stanley's brother. You know that, right? Oh, I did not. Stanley Interesting. Lee- Stanley Lieber. So, uh. Probably mentioned that like 180 podcasts ago, but I wanted to get you in that <laughs> How can I forget? Eddie, D-level villain, Killer Shrike, flies into a bank, robs it, and then he complains he needs, like, a bigger job. He changes into his civilian clothes and walks past Donnie Gardner, who appears to have been rejected by a female friend. The scene changes to Peter saying goodbye to Harry, Liz, and the unnamed baby, and Peter boarding a bus where he tries to impress Donnie's pretty twin sister, Donna Gardner. Eddie, at this point, where is this story going? Uh, James B., I'm much more worried that how many books have we seen Harry and Liz's baby, and the baby still has no name? I I think we need a segment. And now it's time for What Did Harry and Liz Name Their Baby? James B., do you think it's going to be Norman to honor the dad? Maybe maybe Peter as the middle name, the godfather? Or how about Ludwig to honor one of Midtown's most famous doctors? <laughs> uh, well, I can't guess because I I know the answers because I read ahead. You were there. Oh, okay. All right, James. We will let the listeners think more. Thank you for playing. What did Harry and Liz name their baby? James B., I I really didn't know it was going to happen. Please help us. And we thought we were done with Marvel team-ups, huh? (laughs) Killer Shrike. All right, here we go. Well, (laughs) Peter says goodbye to Donna, and she promptly gets hit by a car. Harsh. Why are you talking over the crash? Sorry. It's too bad for her. Peter, as Spider-Man, tracks down the drunk driver, and returns to the hospital where he learns Donna needs a kidney transplant. As Peter searches for twin brother Donnie, we see a nervous killer shrike in his room. 
and across the hall from him, a depressed Donnie struggles with job loss, money troubles, and refuses to answer his phone. I, I still don't know really what's happening in this story. Uh, the drunk driver who killed Debbie wasn't anyone important. It was just some guy. Uh, and now it seems to be turning into like a PSA about depression. Uh, I, I don't know. James B. Okay, so didn't kill, didn't kill her. Didn't her kill her. Didn't, her, oh, excuse her, me, sorry. Her name's also not Debbie. So. Oh, no, I'm just uh, Donna. <laughs> anyway, Spider-Man. No, no wonder I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Spider-Man heads to the building. You know, listeners, let me interrupt here. Here's the real problem. Eddie's really busy getting ready for his presentation that he's going to be doing at Bowling Green uh. University. Now, of course, our show releases slightly off. So right now, you know, we're you're going to hear this two weeks after he does his show. So I have to keep doing these summaries and Eddie's scrambling through the book as fast as possible to add some comments. Let's just be honest here. This is I read them diligently. I'm just a little sleepy. That's all, James B. <laughs> Spider-Man heads to the building to find Donna and Killer Shrike mistakenly thinks Spider-Man's coming after him. After dealing with Shrike... Spider-Man faces a suicidal Donnie, and he shares his own troubles with him. He convinces him to give up a kidney and not his own life, so his twin sister Donna can live. Ending our second strange story of depressing relationships and D-level villains. Eddie, how is Carrie Burkett doing so far? Uh, This was like a PSA about suicide or drunk driving, right? I have to always wonder if Burkett or, like, Shooter decided that this is what the book's going to be about. Because I feel like Jim Shooter, like, every once in a while, or whoever is editor-in-chief, which is usually Jim Shooter, directs the writer to write something about whatever's going on in the world. Be it prison reform or, like, Harry's drug use a long time ago. I don't know. I, I was happy, though, we learned something interesting about Spider-Man. His spider sense is going off slightly before Shrike flies through his apartment building wall. Remember, it's totally accidental that Spider-Man happens to be there. So that means his spider sense is, like, constantly going off when he's doing whatever. And I, I think it gives credence to the idea that uh, Spider-Man can't always identify, like, exactly where danger is because it's got to be constantly pinging him. I want to point out that I've been praising Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man as being the absolutely better book, but that was up to book 100. Things right now are starting to turn for me a little bit with this series of books versus The Amazing Spider-Man. I think we might have a situation here. Maybe you can set things straight with the next book. Yes. From June of 1985, Stan Lee presents Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man 103, Compulsion, by Peter David Rich Buckler and Armando Gill. James B. favorite Captain Gene DeWolf. <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> and Spider-Man are interrogating three ESU seniors who reveal a story about how these upperclassmen bet they could defeat Spider-Man. And James B. is going to bet this is not going to be a good book. <laughs> the students track his movement, his relationship to the Daily Bugle, And they even create a costume and a backstory for a foe to defeat poor Spidey, sending him threats and Eddie nearly exposing Peter Parker. 
is such a weird offbeat setup. You know what my biggest problem is that this is almost too plausible. Like in real life, these students could monitor Spider-Man enough if they were had enough time to figure out like who he is and a lot about him if they really wanted to. It, it's it's too much real life because like the Kingpin still theoretically doesn't know who Spider-Man is. Uh, all right, whatever. Let's continue on, James B. Eddie, the Kingpin is too busy trying to figure out like how to deal with Vanessa because she's sick. He's got all his scientists working hard to make a new supervillain. And most importantly, he's trying to hire people to be his judo sparring partners. So ah. he's, he's got his hands full. He doesn't have time to do what these kids do. They're, okay. only, they're only grad students. All right. The book continues with references to Mr. Rogers, Star Wars, Beverly Hills Cop, a recent Fantastic Four cover, and Mayor Koch. But the gist of the story is that The Blaze was a concoction made up by these ESU students, but suddenly he actually showed up. And now we're in the hospital all wondering who the Blaze actually is. It's a good thing this book has a great resolution. James B., what happens? The story reminds us that the threat of the Blaze has upset families, and Spider-Man in particular, before it reveals that one of the ESU seniors thought this prank was going too far and he enlisted Johnny Storm and Spider-Man's help. Johnny played the part of the Blaze, which was the fictional character these guys created, and he pretended to seriously injure the reluctant student to teach the other two students a lesson. In the end, DeWolf is not happy, and the instigators do not seem to have learned a lesson. And I also have not learned a lesson as I read this whole book. You might be as upset as Gene DeWolf, right, James B? Um, is this another story with the moral? <laughs> Rich kids are jerks? Is that, is that what we could say? I don't know. People with too much time on their hands are I, irritating. I got to talk to one of these people in the you know that writes these books in person one day and say, is it a matter of like someone writes a cool story and like a Saturday Night Live skit, it sits around and someone's like, okay, go ahead and squeeze it in here now? Now it's time. I mean, they're but, kind of... They're kind of good ideas. I just don't want them all in a row. Right. That's the problem. We got like two two of these right in a row. You and well, I need I need a real Spider-Man villain, a real bad guy to come out here and just take it to Spider-Man and deal with the consequences of being a real supervillain. Eddie, let's wrap this up. From July of 1985, Stanley presents Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man 104, The Last Race. By Mantello. Gerano and Redding. Rocket Racer is stealing money before a bounty hunter takes him out with an electromagnetic net. Even with a warrant in hand, the bounty hunter's methods are not enough to make Spider-Man comfortable and Spidey inadvertently helps Rocket Racer escape. Peter does some Beulah research and Spider-Man tracks down the racer's family, who is in debt due to the bail bonds they took out when he was arrested. Racer gives himself up, but the bounty hunter wants to kill him, so Spider-Man has to save Rocket Racer. This causes Spider-Man to lose the upper hand to the bounty hunter. However, instead of fleeing, Rocket Racer returns the favor. The book ends with Spider-Man hopeful that the evil bounty hunter's methods uh, will get Racer an opportunity to get off easy with the judge, but Rocket Racer letting Spidey know that he is willing to pay his debt to society. 
seems unlikely to me that a judge is going to help a rocket racer a however many times he has committed serious crimes. Is this another story with the moral, too? The criminal justice system is corrupt and broken? Uh, I didn't I didn't give moral to the first one we covered. I guess, it was it Crime Doesn't Pay? That was, like, for backlash? All these books seem strangely preachy to me. So, like, we have, what? Crime Doesn't Pay, Life is Precious, because poor uh, Donnie, you know, is suicidal in there. Uh, rich kids are jerks, I guess, or maybe money doesn't buy class. <laughs> and then lastly, the justice system is broken. Do you like that, James B? Or have I summed these up okay? Yeah, I'm actually kind of proud of you. I I usually, hey! <laughs> I usually do the part you're doing, and usually you read the summaries, and I look for those connections as I'm reading them, but I didn't notice all this, so I was kind of lost in the weeds, and you did a very nice job. I did a good job with these things here. I think Rocket Racer... The judge isn't going to let him off? I don't know. I mean, geez, people in the Spider-Man world, I, right? Vulture and Machine Shop. I mean, I can't believe Rocket <laughs> Racer is probably going to be able to get off just by being Rocket Racer. Right. right. He'll find his way out. but Because yeah. he, he always shows up. He's back. Like, he's, hey, I'm back right. again, flying around the but, skateboard, doing his thing. But, yeah, but now Rocket Racer, he's not a villain, really. Like, we now see that he is, not only is he not a villain, but he's a, He's a bad kind of villain and hero. Throughout the story, you know, it claims that he only became Rocket Racer to support his family. And he actually wasn't very good at it, too, <laughs> at being Rocket Racer. Oh, oh well. No, no villains. All of these books might have been okay, like you said, if they were interspersed through other stories. But all in a row, no thank you. Yeah, Rocket Racer, I guess he's the... I mean... Is he the third biggest villain we had? I mean, Killer Shrike had a robbery. Ooh. That puts him at the top of the list. Oh, yes, no. Mar uh, Backlash held a woman hostage. That's like, oh, he's, true. The, he's the super villain in this storyline. And then there's Killer Shrike, who's in his apartment feeling nervous about a robbery he committed. <laughs> then Rocket Racer is running from, he's skipping bail or something like that. Then there's those nasty rich kids. <laughs> Let's... Let's tell the audience how they could, how they can send us some sympathy. Where could they reach out to us? You could email us at letsreadspiderman at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at Let's Read Spidey. And I'm James B. Joined by... Eddie! Remember, listeners, that Let's Read Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. It's a division of Let's Read Spider-Man, a proud member of the PacePot Patreon Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, you may also enjoy a podcast about ways to avoid jail time when you do crimes. I, I guess so. I, I don't I don't need that, but okay. Listen each week as guests such as Rocket Racer and Spoiled Rich Kids explain all the things you can do, such as tell a judge, I only committed the crime because the bail bondsman was a crook, or it was just a prank, or I have seven brothers and sisters. And even my mom and friends in Cleveland won't help me. Listen to Rocket Racer and the Excuse Makers for two hours every Friday at 7 p.m. on the PacePot Patreon Podcast Network. I so hope we get an email from a convict or ex-con saying, oh, thanks for the recommendation. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.
Eddie, I want to talk about Discord. Let's do it. This year, I have my first eSports team. Very 21st century, James B. I know, huh? So <laughs> the deal is I have Discord on my phone now, and I can get a Discord message from you on Discord right. or from someone in my eSports team you know, communicating with each other or saying, hey, let's get ready to do this or that. I got to tell you, all the messages are from my esports team. <laughs> Where are all my Discord people, Eddie? <laughs> I keep looking at my phone thinking someone's going to be like, hello, James B and Eddie, or let's great episode, or. I don't like Rocket Racer either. Or I would, how could you say those terrible would, things about I Rocket would, Racer? But all I get is. People being like, bro, you on? And yo, I so good at this game. I dusted his skull. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want, could, could somebody. Got, got all the lingo, James B. Oh, boy. So so I, I need some more people to join the Discord. And all you do is you get, the, you know, in our little thing on your phone or on your link, it says, you know, check out our live meetup and Discord information here. And there's a link. And you go there and you click on the Discord and you join our Discord. And then. There you go. So, I mean, you know, and when you join it, just send me like a, hey, you know, hey, thanks. I'm here. You know, I'm a, I'm not 15. Well, unless you're 15. I'll take a, I'll take a 15 year old <laughs> talking about Spider-Man these days. That's right. So that's not an invitation for Ian Cooper to send me a hundred discords either. 